even if I'm bringing a different point of view, how can I do it without trying to take over and kind of be on the outside, encouraging and, and observing so much observation to be able to do things from a place of understanding rather than in position. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I'm your host and chief goddess of the Past Foundation, Annalise Corbin. We know the current model for education is obsolete. It was designed to create fleets of assembly line workers, not the thinkers and problem solvers needed today. We've seen the innovations that are possible within education, and it's our goal to leave the box behind and reimagine what education can look like in your own backyard. Welcome to today's episode of Learning Unboxed. As always, I am excited to talk with another great innovator in the transformative education space. Today, we are going to be talking about intercultural schools as a positive disruptor in how we think about the concept of what is school and why does it matter. And joining us today is Catherine Gray, founder at the Natique School in Mexico. So Catherine, welcome to Learning Unboxed. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Excellent. Um, so let's set a little bit of context for our listeners as we get started here. Uh, Natik is an intercultural school which provides subsidized English classes to local and indigenous students in Felipe Carrillo, Puerto Mexico. And I'm sure I didn't quite get that right, but we'll get that all sorted later. Um, and also provides language and cultural immersion experiences for foreign students. I'm super excited about that part. And in the last 12 years, since they have grown Natik uh, to become an intercultural hub offering scholarships to local students and welcoming foreign students to learn both Mexican Spanish and Yutecic Maya. So super excited about all of this, Catherine. Amazing. Yes, I'm very, really excited to share what we're doing because it, it's fun. Excellent. So we do have just for our listeners, um, because uh, Catherine is 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 in in Mexico, and so there is just a little bit of the delay. Um, so just be patient with us, because there she's got such an incredible story to tell. It's absolutely worth it. So Catherine, why don't you start with your story? Is pretty interesting in terms of sort of the way you came to the concept of this school. Let's start with that. Why is this needed? Well, basically, I came down to Mexico to do volunteer work, and it wasn't in my thought that I would be an educator until I came down here and started teaching. Um, when I finally moved back down here in 2001 um, with my local husband, well, he's from here, so when, after we got married and settled in, he's also an educator and comes from a family of educators, and I was teaching English at the local university and at the local high school. And I realized that the students really didn't, they weren't able to learn. They weren't able to learn at the level that I knew that they were capable of. Um, I, they didn't start getting language classes till the high school level. And people would come to my home and they would want they would want classes. And it became such a constant, constant ask. And there was such a strong need and the need seemed to be growing and growing. I thought, 
you know what? I love teaching. I love Carrillo. I love my students and the area. And how amazing would it be to get our Carrillo Puerto on the map where we could have our local kids learning English. We could have foreigners coming and learn Maya or Spanish. And the two different groups could actually learn together. So if we had foreigners coming down, staying with homestay families, having intercultural exchanges with our local kids, our local students would have this experience of meeting people from around the world, which most of them do not have. We're very in an isolated community. We're in the jungle. And although we're close to tourism, many of our students are very isolated. Their parents were worried about them leaving Carrillo to go to study. And so I thought, how how cool would it be if this could work? And I did have people saying, what are you thinking? There's no way that foreigners would want to go to Carrillo because we're off the beaten path. We don't, you know, there's no mountains, there are no beach, and it's just this town. And that's, and I thought, you know, just let me try. And here we are. And so it was, it really came from my love of languages and my love of the town and my students and the love of seeing people learn about this really amazing Maya culture that still is alive. Yeah, and how wonderful is that? And as an anthropologist, everything that you are doing just gets me so jazzed. I don't, I don't even have words for some of it. And I'm so excited about the work that you're doing. I do want to dig in a little bit because in my mind, when I was looking at the materials about the work that you're doing, the thing that struck me the most, um, just sort of putting my hat on, if you will, based on the, the, the innovative things that I've seen in and around the world. And what I know about the way people learn, when you bring diverse groups together, the opportunity for learning is really, really huge. It can even be epic in many ways. But sometimes that can be incredibly difficult to achieve because um, the interactions can be fleeting, the interactions can be artificial, the interactions can be limited in the meaningfulness of them, although that's not what the opportunity could be. And I think that the way you've crafted this idea of the immersion of cultures as the nexus by which you want to see learning and engagement happening, there's so much magic in the potential of that. And I have no doubt whatsoever, Catherine, that you, you've got some really great examples of the magic that you can share with our listeners. Because I don't know that folks will really fully understand the breadth and depth of what you've accomplished here without some narrative. So let's dig into our inner storytellers here and share with us a little bit, Catherine, of some of these, these great things that you've seen. Uh, I have to say that I am honored that you see that it can be magic because even on the darkest, most difficult days when something happens, it's just like, oh, of course, this is why I'm doing this. And I also study anthropology. So I know that side of it too. That's one thing that got me into even just being down here in the first place. So the, the, there are so many things you just brought up. 
So one of them is how the idea could sometimes seem like it could be artificial. Sometimes it seems that it could be um, um, kind of forced and fleeting. And so that is the number one reason that what we're doing is for people to come and actually, when, when students come down to learn Spanish or Maya, their goal is to come and learn Spanish or Maya and being immersed. It's not to come and say, oh, come look at these local people who still consider themselves Maya, which is patronizing and, and you know, not a positive way to look at it. It's basically people want to learn a language and what's the best way to learn is to be in the culture in an authentic way with families who truly want to learn about other people. So it has been a huge, huge goal of mine to make it authentic and real where neither side is forced, where it's a natural desire to learn. So I have so many stories. One of my personal favorites is um, when I first started the school, I only offered English classes. You know, we were like, how in the world would you bring foreigners down? But let's go with English classes because that's that's what I do. And people in town know me. So one of our students came in from a community, from a Maya community. And um, he was so shy, almost painful. And but he kept coming, kept coming, then suddenly stopped coming. He's one of the reasons we actually started our scholarship program because the family couldn't keep paying. So we got him a scholarship just from friends saying, hey, can you guys just give some money so this kid can keep studying? That's how the program started with that end. So anyway, so our student, Eric, he came back and I saw this young kid, you know, middle school kid grow. He came and studied with us for several years. He ended up being one of our strongest students. His parents then completely supported him. He went to university in the capital, so left town, studied English, um, did incredibly well. And now he's an English teacher for us and has so much confidence. And He's not the only one. Yeah, one of our other English teachers also is one of our scholarship students. And it's the same thing where when we say, so what happened? You know, what was your journey? Because, you know, he's in his young 20s now. And so he basically said, having the different teachers, so we have teachers from around the world, having different teachers from different parts of the English-speaking world gave him confidence. He learned different accents. He learned about our teachers, you know, share about themselves. So him as a local student realized, oh my gosh, not everyone from outside our community is bad or wants, you know, doesn't want us to grow and thrive. So he as an individual gained so much self-confidence and was able to see that whether the person was from Australia or the UK or the United States, he could form a relationship with them. And so on that end, that's where we then had students starting to come in. And if they would go in and volunteer in a class or we would have an intercultural exchange, um, those activities were such a win-win. It wasn't 
come down and come watch these kids for a day and leave. It's saying you're learning Spanish. These kids are learning English. Let's bring them all together. Everyone's uncomfortable. Everyone's, you know, kind of battling through their language learning, sometimes making mistakes. But, you know, we do intercultural exchanges, like first round English, second round Spanish. And so everyone's on the same plate and on the same space. And it doesn't matter if the kid's 13 and our student is 60. They still come down to the same space. They're both learning. They're both interested. They both want to learn about different cultures and different points of view. So I think that we have so many examples. I can't even tell you. Another one of our students who just graduated, a young woman, another scholarship student, she's now one of the only young women in an engineering program in the capital. And so much self-confidence. Yay. Yeah, like yay, that's a win. I, I mean, talk about a win. I'm like, you go, Rosie. You know, she's like, I was the only woman in the whole place for our entrance exam. And her English is amazing, tested out of all of her levels. And she's she's wants to come back to town and open a solar panel company when she's finished with university. You know, so what where I see it is it's so much more than just a Wow. Yeah, yeah, that is a huge it's win. A huge yeah. win. I mean it's we want our students to come back home and help their community. So anyway, that I mean there's so many wins. And it is and it's not a fleeting, it's not one-sided. It's not come come look at these kids. It's participate with them. And both sides are equally equally engaged. And I think that is where I, it actually happened organically. Like I, I didn't know it was going to happen. You know, I was really like, let's see, let's go for it. And it's happening and we're finally seeing results. Well, and I think that's really interesting in the sense that it, on some levels, it seems like sort of really basic that we should collectively, intuitively know, right, that if we put folks together and, and, and honor the learning process that they can ultimately sort of have a shared experience through, that the, the, the end result will be really, really powerful for everybody who participates. And yet, and yet, we see over and over again especially in the world of traditional education, which is not the space you occupy, right? But it is the space that many across the world still occupy, quite frankly. Um, You know, one of the things that we're afraid to let go of some of the control and the constraints around the way we think learning has to happen to allow learning to be both immersive and sort of free-formed and free-flowing. Because although those were not necessarily words that I heard you say, your story tells me it's happening over and over and over again in the environment in which you created for this type of opportunity. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly what it is. And we do, the kids do have classes and they are learning the grammar and they are, you know, getting their vocabulary. And there have been times where teachers, our English teachers have said, oh, you know, I don't want to interrupt my class for a career talk with a foreign student. Or, oh, I don't want my class to be interrupted for an intercultural exchange because 
I really want to finish this unit. And what I would have to really encourage them is say, you have absolutely no idea what this hour with a real life intercultural experience or a real life listening to what these people do for a living, which is fascinating. You have no idea that losing one hour of class, your students are going to gain 50 in confidence in their, in their self-esteem with how much they are going to understand and participate. So I really had to push them like, you think you're losing an hour, but you're gaining so much more. And your kids were going to, or your students are going to learn so much faster once they gain the self-confidence and they're actually listening to people truly speak the language. So exactly, you know, it's, that's, that's where it comes. It's like you can have the classroom experience and plug through, or you can really get these kids and our adults speaking and knowing that they are learning and growing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Catherine, I think you have provided me with a really, really intriguing opportunity. So I'm going to ask you a question that might be a bit of a curveball. But honestly, I think of the all of the folks that I've interviewed over a really long time now in this program, and certainly talked to in my travels around the world, I suspect actually, you have an insight into this space that others would deeply appreciate. And so what I what I hear you talking about is the fact that that immersive experience, that opportunity for people not only to learn from each other, but more importantly, more importantly, for adults who are coming in from a variety of places around the world to learn Spanish or to learn Maya, right? They, they are essentially consenting, if you will, to recognizing that their primary teacher is going to be a child, right? And through that space, somehow the learning that is happening, it is very much bi-directional. But I guess really the heart of my question is, we think about this, you know, and you're talking about, well, we're going to to work about the exchange of learning Spanish and English, and we're going to go back and forth on this. But I would argue that you could take any topic with willing learners and teach each other things in that sense, Yeah, absolutely. And with our foreign students, who mostly are adults, um, they stay with homestay families. And over and again, they say the homestay experience was the icing on the cake. And because the families are part of their experience, they're not, it's not just having a room and feeding them. There's a full interaction And some of the families have kids, some don't, but it's exactly that. It's that their learning might be with the 10-year-old, you know, their 10-year-old home, you know, homestay sister. And that's where some of the biggest learning could happen. And it's absolutely true. No matter where, or they get to know the shop guy down the street. And every morning they go and stop by and get a sweet bread. And maybe that guy's the one who's really allowed their learning to grow. You know, it really, it is, they do have classroom time, but the outside time is where the true learning 
is happening. Mm -hmm. Well, you're adding situational context to what's happening. And oftentimes, I think that's one of the key ingredients that's missing in a more traditional way of thinking about the delivery of content. That situational context means everything for learners because it expands the application of the concept in ways that we can't get just by sitting in a space and doing a thing. Until we take that thing or that idea, that concept out into the world and we try it on for size and we get it wrong and somebody else corrects sort of what we're doing, there's just so much opportunity that can be gained through that sort of external validation of the the learning that's happening natively in whatever the setting happens to be. Yeah, absolutely agree. All right. So when we think about the collective set of experiences, Catherine, that you have been able to have and to share, both with your students, your families, the community, and with the external learners that are coming in. If you sort of have to step back and think about that journey, where were the where were the pain points? Because I can imagine folks sitting back, they're hearing us have this conversation and they're saying, wow, that's super cool. Maybe I'm a language teacher and I'm listening to this, but maybe I'm, I'm the biology teacher and I'm listening to this. Because honestly, I think everything that we're talking about applies to any, any type of learning that we would like to sort of put out there. But I, I know that as a part of the journey and certainly as a founder to a founder, there are pain points along the way. And I'm super curious about some of the pain points that you've sort of found and how you overcame those? Yeah, that's a great question. There, it really has been a process. So starting from the very beginning, from where we are, I remember my husband who, you know, he's local. I said, you know, I want to try this. I want to try to do classes and I want to try to get this going. And even though he and his entire family, they're all educators. He said, Catherine, I don't think, I just don't know if it's going to work. You know, I just don't know if people are going to take education as an important thing to invest in. And I remember the first round I started with 10 kids and it was two. And I thought, okay, maybe he's right, but I'm not going to give up yet. And so And so I kept going and my only students were children of teachers. And I thought, okay, I mean, that's great, but I I don't want that to be it. And also my husband was saying, I don't want us to be training kids to be waiters. (laughs) You know, I want kids to learn English for for a wider worldview. And I said, well, me too. You know, I don't want them just to learn English to go and work around tourism. If that's what they want to do, fabulous. But I don't want that to be the goal if that's not what they want to do. So that was one of the big things was really sticking with it. And again, having the the economic blocks. And so when I had that economic block and kids were dropping out because they couldn't pay for it, I thought, okay, here we go. Let's just start a scholarship program. So that was a big pain point of, I don't want to be a school. I mean, no one in town really is wealthy. So it was kind of like, I don't want to be the school if only teacher kids can come and afford it. So that was another thing of saying, 
we have to start a scholarship program and we need to get that going. And then I realized I need to register in order for people in the U.S. to donate to us. So that was another huge thing of, okay, if we're going to have scholarships and I want people to donate, I need to have a nonprofit. And so we had these weird little roadblocks. And then there was a time of parents not trusting when I started bringing in foreign teachers. Some of them were concerned, who are these people coming from out of town? And it took a while for the trust to build up. So I have had many years here and my in-laws are all local. Everyone knows them. So I had already gone through that trust buildup period, but it's not fast. It's not easy. So that was something else that I needed to show the community that people are coming in from outside, but we're good people and I'm bringing in good people. And it's not to come in and take away the culture. And again, as an anthropologist, I remember we were going to have a Halloween party and parents were upset because of Day of the Dead. And Day of the Dead is religious, it's spiritual. And I thought, no, no, I'm not trying to show that Halloween is better. I'm not trying to replace it. They're, I'm showing your kids they're learning a language and culture is part of the language, but it, I'm not trying to say forget Day of the Dead, do this because it's from the U.S. I had a really prove over the years that our, our point of the school for the local students is not to say English is better, to not say that our culture is better. It's to say, have your kids learn a new language, have your kids learn a, do, a new culture so when they go out in the world, they can be comfortable in it and they're not intimidated by it. And they know that they can thrive in it, even though they're different, if they choose to do something different, because um, there still is racism outside of where we are with the Maya, you know, the Maya population, indigenous population. So it took a long time. And that was something that I really had to work on. And my husband and I worked so well together on that because he is from here in local. And it is something that. I, again, I had no idea what, how it was going to turn out. I didn't know if I'd be successful in that to say, okay, we're teaching for kids to grow, not teaching kids to forget who they are. Um, and so that was, and, you know, another really difficult part was, was being able to show who we are in our programs to be able to bring people down here, you know, don't go to Tulum where there's a beach and a lot of places to go and to see. Come here where you're going to walk around, walk down the street. And it's a little dusty and, you know, your excitement of the day is going to be having lunch with your host family and, and have class. But there's, you know, it's not, I really had to work. That was another hard point was how do we show who we are without having people come down because at the beginning people said, Oh my God, it's just been such a great experience. Even though life is so different and definitely in developing town and it's hard to express that to show others that you will get so much more out of it than just language. And so all those different pieces, it's, you know, it's, it's been interesting. And then I said, I want a library. 
we need a library because I love libraries. So that's been another that we built it. And so it's been, you know, everything getting built up from nothing physically also. So we've had lots of different hard points, as I mentioned, as a founder, like, how are we going to do this? And how are we going to get good staff or bilingual to come live in this town and work here? And we just, we just keep getting lucky, I guess I can say. You know, we keep getting great teams together. And, you know, now our students are graduating, our local students are graduating, and now they're coming to work with us. And so it's just, I guess it's just, you know, those points of trust, those points of trust with the students and with the parents, and the ability to express what our mission is in a genuine, authentic way. Yeah, that sounds absolutely wonderful. And I um, I love the way you express that the part of the work is not about, um, it's not about taking away from the culture. That was really, really, really well stated. And I think that's super, super important um, for everybody to sort of step back and reflect on because I think that that applies into so many situations that we find ourselves in as educators in various parts of the world and even in your own community, right? That you you can um, really sort of talk about that the learning is should be enhancing those components, not detracting from them. So I always like to, Catherine, sort of close out the conversation with recognizing that our listeners do in fact come from all over the world and they're doing different things in different places with different sets of resources. Um, And that can be very, very broadly defined depending on the circumstance that you're in, um, obviously. But, But I also recognize that as folks are listening, they're grabbing out those sort of golden nuggets that they are hearing the guests talk about as part of their story in ways that they feel like they can incorporate something that they've heard into their own space, into their own practice um, as well. And so um, I would really love for you to sort of share, if, if you could, you know, a couple of things that you feel like that you're doing as part of the Nautique School um, that you feel like could be broadly applied in, in other circumstances. Interesting. I... You know, I've really had to reflect a lot of about what what are we doing to make sure that we're staying on track, to make sure that what we're doing is really for the community. And I feel that a nugget could be no matter where anybody is. I mean, I'm a white woman and I'm in Mexico and it's kind of a nightmare for me to think, oh, the savior white lady. You know, that's kind of the worst thing I could ever want. And So I think a huge piece that has helped me through these years is for people to realize that when they're in, it doesn't matter if they're in their own community that they grew up in, or if they're in a different state or a different environment, to remember how important it is for all of us to understand where we are understand what the community kind of wants, what the community is looking for to improve or to where does the community want to go? And 
for all of us to feel and to look around us and say, okay, how can I be, you know, if I have the skills and the team, how can we work together for the community? What can I do to show that I'm worth the support? And, you know, how can I do my job so the community can trust me with their kids and with people coming from abroad that they know that we will do our best to make sure their experience is positive. And because it can be hard, you know, everything's different. And so I feel like the nugget is for all of us to be able to step back and say, where do I fit in this picture? Even if I'm different, even if I'm bringing a different point of view, how can I do it without trying to take over and kind of be on the outside encouraging and, and observing so much observation to be able to do things from a place of understanding rather than imposition. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. That is a perfect um, way for, I think, to have folks think about the impact that you've had both in your community and the impact that you have on the way that folks can think about the space they occupy within any community. And so for that, I am absolutely grateful to you, Catherine, um, both for the work that you're doing and for the conversation um, with us today. And so thank you so much for taking time um, to, to talk with us about the incredible journey that you're on. And we wish you so much luck and we will... Um, be posting um, some some links and some resources. And I am hopeful that some of our listeners reach out and say, hey, I want to come and try that thing because boy, does it sound like a great way to brush up my skills. So thank you so much for joining us today, Catherine. Thank you for having me. I'm really honored to be here. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.